Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to Marvel's The Pullist for new comics on sale September 4th, 2019. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. And every week we talk about comics. Yeah. That, that's the thing we do. That's it. Here we are, talking about new comics, print and digital, uh, stuff hitting Marvel Unlimited, and the collections and all that good stuff. But before we get into the books, Mr. Mm-hmm. Marcus, yes. I wanted to give a shout out and a no prize to Megan McCabe on Twitter. Whoa. Who pointed out that I called Mary Jane Peter's wife last week when we were talking about Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man. I assume Mm. it was me. I think it was me. Right. Could have been you. Probably me. But that was probably just my mistake. Uh, I read a lot of comics. I've been reading a lot of older comics lately for various other projects. And uh, sometimes I just get my lines crossed. And hey, they're they're lovey-dovey nowadays. So yeah, yeah, it can be tricky. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It can be tricky but yeah. megan thank you for pointing it out you get a no prize which uh, oh yeah for us is literally nothing <laughs> but a little shout out here at the beginning of the show ready to dive into things let's do it okay all right we're starting with absolute carnage scream number two this is written by colin bunn with pencils by gerardo sandoval and alex arzmendi inks by gerardo sandoval alex arzmendi and victor nava colors by eric arseniega and letters by vc's Corey pettit that's a big old creative team for what is a really beautiful book what I like about this issue and what is becoming more and more one of the central focuses of Absolute Carnage Scream, this limited series for me is this very interesting concept of like someone, a normal person who becomes a monster and knows that they're becoming a monster and is kind of trapped in that. That's a really, really interesting area of exploration that this issue dives into in a really big way. And it's... That's kind of the most horrific thing of all. It's more horrific than just pure evil or something that is purely bad or something that has always been, you know, monstrous forever because there's this, there's this humanity inside of it all, which is, that's kind of what I'm learning as, you know, I'm relatively new to this character scream that, that, you know, I'm learning is more and more central to this entire story. It's very fascinating. And there's a pretty harrowing story that we're getting in scream, and then we're getting the scream ongoing, yeah, uh, coming up later this year. So there's going to be so much to explore here. And uh, yeah, this was just, like I said, harrowing, horrific, but in in the most fun way, and and really all presented gorgeously. Like I said, that art team is really bringing the right game to this series. Indeed, uh, we have another Absolute Carnage tie-in this week with Absolute Carnage Symbiote Spider-Man number one, written by Peter David, art by Francesco Mobley with colors by Yava Tartaglia and Rain Barreto, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. What's interesting about this one is it pulls in some uh, pages and panels from classic issues, uh, including Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, issues 99 and 100. And that is crucial because what it does here is takes a thread from those issues back in the day about a guy who was visiting New York City, and he ended up getting, like, the, the symbiote what had detached from Peter Parker at this time, and the symbiote glommed onto him, took over, and swung around a bit, and then dropped him off somewhere else, mm-hmm. and the guy sort of stumbled around not knowing what the heck had happened. But what's interesting about that now in light of absolute carnage is that we've learned that the symbiotes leave a codex, a piece of themselves tied to a person's DNA. 
And Carnage is out there hunting down anyone with a codex. Each little piece makes him stronger. So anyone who has had a symbiote becomes a potential victim for Carnage. So you have that in mind. You follow along the story of what happened to this guy after his terrible trip to New York City. Mm-hmm. And it actually is really fascinating and interesting. It's a big drama. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of emotion and death and love and, you know, even weaves in uh, the White Rabbit. It was really cool. Ultimately, though, it does connect back to Carnage and it is not pleasant. What's always fun for me reading Peter David issues is like, like great filmmakers where you could watch i don't know you could watch all of david fincher's filmography or all of jj abrams filmography or you know take your pick and you can just for some reason you could just tell this is that Hmm. creator's work you know there's just something about it that is just their signature look or style that is so peter david for me like i you could i just always know what a peter david issue is it like if you took the creative team off of there, I would be able to be like, I feel like this is Peter David, uh, which is just a delight. He occupies such a unique corner. Uh, all right. Next up, we have Agents of Atlas number two. This is written by Greg Pak with art by Nico Leon and Pop Mon. Colors by Federico Blee and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Uh, I'm on record as a huge fan of the Agents of Atlas, um, this series, this team. And in this issue, we get to explore the portal city of Pan which is just such a fun idea. You know, it kind of takes the term like Pan-Asian or like Pan-Asia into reality in a way, which is just like perfectly comic book concept. In here, we get to meet a a new character named Isaac Ikeda. One, I want to say I love Isaac's, uh, his suit. So cool, like instant, awesome superhero look. I love the, the, the fact that this series is... The storytelling is done both on a bigger narrative way, like here's what the Ages of Atlas are fighting, here's what they're up against, here are the bigger story beats, as well as perfectly paired and perfectly balanced with like the intra-team stories are just as vital to all of it. So what's going on between different characters who uh, is, you know, maybe, you know, you know, in conflict with a certain other member of the team, or maybe two characters are coming together in, in a w- certain ways. We're getting a little bit of romance in this issue, which is always so much fun. Flirting uh, and smooching. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to talk about it a little bit later, but I, uh, right now I think Greg is just operating on another level. Like I think he is just crushing it in every single way. And uh, what's crazy is, like, he comes back, he goes away, does some other stuff, he comes back, he's just, like, can come back. You know, we were just talking on This Week in Marvel, the Unlimited Reading Club, about World War Hulk. And that was, you know, 12 years ago. Yeah. Crushing it then, crushing it now. Yeah. He's, he's, he's great. And uh, also out this week is the collected edition of War of the Realms' New Agents of Atlas. Yeah. So if you didn't read the series when it was first coming out as part of War of the Realms, uh, there's a handy-dandy collection that can go perfectly alongside your brand-new issues of Agents of Atlas 1 and 2, uh, or if you just need to catch up, it's right all there. Yeah. Figure out how this team came together. Speaking of teams, let's talk about Alpha Flight True North Number one featuring, yes, Alpha Flight, Canada's greatest super team. Would you say Beta Flight is up there? No, they could screw up. How about Omega Flight? No, they can go to hell. It's all about Alpha Flight. Yeah, go screw 
other flight teams. Yep. Yeah. Um, although many members of Alpha, of Alpha Flight came from Beta Flight and Omega Flight, <laughs> so it's all the same thing in the same program. Anyway, Alpha Flight True North is three stories. It's a big old uh, sweet boy that is part of like our 80th anniversary spectacular that we've been doing all year long, celebrating various teams and books and history. So this one is all about Alpha Flight and it is all by Canadian creators. Uh, you know, you, of course you're going to have Jim Zub in there. Of course you're going to have Ed Brisson in there. Those are Canadian boys who just wave mm-hmm. that flag hard. I didn't know Jed McKay was a Canadian yeah. boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So three stories. The first one is called Mired in the Past and it is written by Jim with art by Max Dunbar, colors by Jim Charalampetus, and this one features um, Snowbird and Talisman together, which is really, really cool. Them just, like, hanging out, and then they get wrapped into some mystic stuff, which makes sense for the two of them, but it ends up being a really emotional story tied into Snowbird's history and her humanity, which she doesn't always hold on to a ton. The second story is called... Actually, I'm going to go to the third story first, which is called Illegal Guardians that is written by Ed Brisson, art by Scott Hepburn, colors by Charlie Peters again. This one is uh, really interesting because it wraps into some things that are going on with James Hudson and Heather Hudson. Mm -hmm. Now, those two have deep connections to Wolverine way back when, when, you know, Alpha Flight was first introduced, when you have Wolverine, like digging into some of his Canadian history and stuff like that. But now it's like opening up stories that I didn't even know had happened and some really interesting things. And like, uh, I would love to see more of this. Uh, speaking of things I want to see more of is the second story called Monsters. That is written by Jed McKay with art by Jabril Morissette Fon with colors by Ian Herring. And man, this one was my jam. Yeah. It um, sort of, it starts and ends with a conversation between Marina and Puck. Puck is, you know, one of the, I think our, not even he's just one of the coolest Marvel characters, yeah. right? It's this little dude. He's like three foot, six inches tall, packs a punch. He drinks a lot. He parties with Wolverine. He's got attitude. He's super old. He's, he's like, super hairy, super hairy. He like he's an acrobat. He's <laughs> awesome. We're going to hear about him a little bit later on in another book. But Marina is a really fascinating one. She's a member of the alien Plodex race who... Her history includes being (laughs) married to and later killed by Namor, whom she was pregnant with their child. Um, She was killed by Namor after she turned into basically a giant destructive Leviathan. Whoa. Yeah. She then came back. (laughs) She's okay again now, but she had this wild history. And then Puck, he's this, you know, adventurer. And he rules so hard. This actually tells a story of how he was a monster hunter in Canada in the 1930s. Uh, he was fighting alongside Ulysses Bloodstone and Fat Cobra. Ulysses Bloodstone, father of Elsa, not the coolest Bloodstone, but he is a pretty badass dude. Mm-hmm. Fat Cobra is uh, one of the immortal weapons. He comes from the uh, the Iron Fist lore, like tied to all that. But it is a really dope story. I won't even get into why. Just get it. Yeah. Get it. For all three stories, and then you know, yell at CB Sabolsky, yell at uh, Tom Brevoort and others. You want more puck adventures? Mm-hmm. So much fun. Yeah. Um, spin-off backdoor pilot podcast idea. Yep. What the puck? Yes, yes. Just Every, all, it's just all about puck. It's all about puck. Honestly, easy one hundred episodes we could do about <laughs> yeah. it because you could get you have Jason Aaron come in do do a whole episode. You have. <laughs> All the Canadians come in. You know, they'll just line up to do it. We get a whole series with John Bright. Come on. Come on. What the puck? All right. 
Next up, we have Amazing Spider-Man going big, number one. We've been really excited about this issue because it collects the uh, really, honestly, legendary Spidey talents of Jerry Conway and Mark Bagley and Eric Larson. It's pretty stunning to have all those creators packed into one beautiful issue. Uh, we have a few stories here. The first one's called Field of Fire, and that is by Jerry Conway on plot and script, Mark Bagley on pencils, Victor Olazaba, Andy Owens, and Dexter Vines on inks, Carlos Lopez on colors, and VCs Joe Sabino on letters, which, well, I want to say that one has a very interesting twist on the villain called The Spot. Uh, well, so it's the villain, the coyote is the villain yes. who was introduced as having the powers of the spot uh, through like this whole thing that was in Daredevil a couple of years ago and it like really messed up the spot. They're separate, but right. they are very deeply connected. And the coyote was, is gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love the spot. I love, and you'll, you'll see what it, what it means when you say there's a, a twist on that character and everything Ryan's saying that I, I, I just love that character. And speaking of Peter David, wasn't the spot in a Ben Riley story some like uh, probably almost two years ago at this point probably I, I vaguely remember Spot's such um, a cool Scarlet character. Spider yeah. uh, by Peter David anyway uh, the second story in this issue is called Life Lessons and that's by Ralph Macchio on plot and script Todd Nock on pencils and inks, Rochelle Rosenberg on colors, and VCs Joe Sabino on letters. Just another delightful one. So much artwork and so much uh, you know talent going into that one. And then we wrap it up with Mr. Eric Larson on a story called The Execution. And this is alongside Laura Martin on colors and Ferran Delgado on letters. What I love the most about this issue overall is just... You know, going into it and knowing that we did, we did this big announcement about how it's Jerry and and Mark and Eric coming together on this one issue, and then going into it and reading it and seeing these like legendary creators, you know, seeing what they each bring to the character and what makes their various kind of runs with this character so iconic and so legendary. You know, when a, a, a machine is running as smoothly and it's just humming along because the forces behind it are are so well tuned you just feel it and you could feel it going through every single page every single panel uh and it's just a, a delight it's a web slinging super good time yeah yeah indeed uh up next is champions number nine written by jim zub art by stephen cummings colors by marcio menez and letters by vcs clayton cowles so we know that viv was attacked by Ironheart last issue. And here's where we find out why and how. And I'm not going to like get really deep into it uh, because it's really a lot of like moving that plot forward. Yeah. Uh, it really affects the whole team, though, in the way, you know, it, it shakes out. By the end, it's like champions versus champions in the mighty Marvel manner. Really pretty art by Steve Cummings, as always. Totally. Next up, we have Conan the Barbarian, number nine. This is written by Jason Aaron with art by Mahmoud Asrar, colors by Matthew Wilson, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Almost one of my picks of the week. I just devour this series, every single issue. It's so much fun. This one, we are literally, you know, in this kind of dark, the the heart of this kind of occultish freak beastly kind of realm that uh conan so you know wonderfully takes us into i love the mixture of the kind of of that element of like this occultish weird element of the the monstrous element and then with the kind of oracle-esque like 
future visions uh prophecy element of of conan it just adds up to like everything that jason aaron was put on planet earth to do in the best way the art in here is incredible uh there is a thing called a grotto of blood in here which is just the coolest and i love how that's rendered like color wise um because it's just like you know, a lot of the 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 Mahmoud Azrar art in here is very finely detailed and absolutely gorgeous. And then you ha- get to this page, and it's like it's kind of like two dimensional in a way that like suggests it's this other thing. And like it, it's just very very interesting how how that's rendered. All brought to you, of course, uh, alongside the the master Matt Wilson. Um, yeah, just so good. If you have an aversion to squishy, wet, slimy things, yeah. be warned. Yep. But if you can handle it, it's dope. It's really good. All right. Up next is Fantastic Four number 14. And it is my first pick of the week. Whoo, baby. Uh, This one is the first part of Point of Origin called Wanderlust. It is written by Dan Slott, art by Paco Medina, colors by Jesus Arbatov, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. One in the, the recent story, which was about uh, Things Honeymoon with Alicia, uh, and I had talked about how I've, I've been hearing about this story for yeah. for a long time from Dan Slott. He had had this in his mind. He'd been planning on it. He'd been so excited about it. This is another story that I've probably been hearing about from Dan for about the last two years. Just him waiting for it and getting so excited and talking about it and building around it. Um, so Point of Origin is is centered around the very first Fantastic Four story. So the idea is that the FF, you know, the, the four of them, Reed, Sue, Johnny, and Ben, before they got their powers, they were taking this rocket up and they were going somewhere. They were specific. They weren't just going to space to be like, yeah, we did it, space, yeah. woo, free, free, free. <laughs> they were going specifically to a planet in this rocket when uh, in the journey it was bombarded by cosmic rays and they ended up coming back down to Earth having their powers. So where were they supposed to go? Dan had this, like, Dan being the encyclopedic mind that he has uh, alongside Tom Brevoort, the two of them realized that that story was never told. Mm-hmm. So they want to tell the story of this planet that they were planning to go to. What was that supposed to be? And how does that affect them now? How do they proceed into this uh, at this point in their lives? So part of this issue is a flashback to the time leading up to that original launch. And then we have the present day stuff, which is a lot of really simple but excellent character bits with the team just interacting. It is not like a big punch em up issue. It is getting in gear to go back out and explore uh, with, you know, now with a purpose. There's wonderful Ben and Alicia moments of this newlywed couple where, you know, Ben is just like rah, 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 rah. And Alicia's like, yes. You know, and mm-hmm. she's like, she knows Ben so well. She is moving in a direction that he doesn't even realize he's going in. And you could see that they're too people who are so well intertwined and, and, and everything gels with them. It's so sweet to see Johnny and Reed having really wonderful bonding moments. Sue doing what she does, which is keeping everybody together. Uh, it is pure joy and wonder. And is, you know, the reason why I love comics, it's yeah. a simple thing when you, but when you get this book where you can tell it's put together with love, it, you know, has such joy in the art. And then that, comes across in the pages. Paco Medina's work, too, is just so good. Reminds me a little bit of Mike Waringo in in Mm -hmm. places, in that spirit, that vibrancy, that buoyancy that 
just jumps off the page. His characters just seem like they're moving and they're excited. And then, you know, even the like when they're frowning, there's just like this reaction that they they give off. It is really wonderful stuff. I can't recommend Fantastic Four enough, especially where we are right now in the run. Yeah, I was about to say, I love Paco's Ben Grimm. Yeah. It just like, it's so unique. It's one of those... Ben Grimm is one of those characters like Spider-Man. I Really, I think there's maybe a handful of Marvel characters that really actually fall into this category of like seeing artists take on them because they're like somehow so specific and also such a broad canvas of like what an artist can bring and, and make their own. And I just absolutely adored Paco's take on the thing. Okay, moving now beautifully on from FF to another FF. This is Future Foundation number two. It's by... Uh, the story's by Jeremy Whitley with pencils by Will Robson and Paco Diaz, inks by Will Robson, Paco Diaz, and Daniele Orlandini, colors by Greg Menzi with Chris O'Halloran, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. I'm really, really enjoying this series because it kind of is like a perfect marriage of the Fantastic Four kind of style of story of this kind of adventurous kind of family with for me, like runaways and champions at the same time, because it's incredibly youthful and vibrant and fun in that way. It just has this very youthful spirit at the heart of everything. And that's really, really, really hard to do. And it's something that we know that Jeremy Whitley is so brilliant at. You know, we we know his work on the Unstoppable Wasp, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In this story, should I say who pops up in here? I, I would I? say who the the villain is, but not the surprise character. Okay, so we have Yandu Udanta, who's involved in a very interesting way in here. I... I ask because uh, Sarah Brunstad, the book editor, reached out to uh, see if we could do some backstory on a certain character that pops up on here. On when does that go out? That goes out after and the issue And that'll come up out. after the issue goes yeah. up. I, I don't uh, want to spoil it. it yes. It's a really cool character. If you are following along with This Week in Marvel History, we are getting into the Heroes Reborn right. time period of our history uh, going back into 1996. Seven, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. And so uh, I leave it at that. Yes. You should read the book. But the villain of the book is the maker. And he's mm-hmm. on one of the covers of, of the issue. Yeah, I think the main uh, cover. Yeah, which yeah. I, I, you know, is is cool. Seeing the maker pop up. But those first two pages of this issue, I thought were really stunning, really interesting, because it is an immediate crash course in who the maker is. And it's so succinctly done because the maker is such a convoluted yeah, character. Yeah. If you start to break it down as like, he was from this one universe and an alternate reality, Reed Richards, and then this, and then he lived for a thousand years and he created uh, a different race of people. And then he you know, was splitting apart and like all this other stuff. And Jeremy and the team just, just take it and just go, okay, here's how it goes. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. It's yeah. really well done. Yeah. I Honestly, I would recommend those first two pages for anyone, especially hearing a lot of talk about the maker in a lot of different ways around uh, various Marvel books. I, I would say check out Marvel.com uh, this week for a retrospective on a certain character who pops up uh, in this story. It's very, very interesting, very exciting stuff. Yeah, which is great. All right, up next is Ghost Spider Annual Number 1, written by Vida Ayala, pencils by Perry Perez, colored by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This is another Acts of Evil annual, this time putting Ghost Spider against Arcade, more or less. Mm -hmm. It's set in the main Marvel Universe, uh, where Gwen is currently going to school. She's attending Empire State University. She ends up getting sucked into one of Arcade's murder world death trap programming things. Um, But it ends up being just this fun story, mostly of Gwen either 
thinking or monologuing at death trap robots mm-hmm. and then it, it you know utilizes the, all these different uh elements because it's built for spider-man she's not spider-man and she is her own hero and she takes things in a different way so it's really fun uh vita does such a great job getting inside gwen's head and portraying who gwen is the way she would approach things the way she looks at the way spider-man approaches things it's just such a crisp really well done single issue plus perry perez on art is yeah. so fantastic completely uh okay now we have my first pick of the week and that is house of x number four uh this is written by jonathan hickman with art by pepe Larraz, colors by marte gracia and letters by vcs clayton cowles you know just when i think that like this series is like reaching its fever pitch of like reaching its kind of like big dramatic moments it just somehow keeps going up and up i I, i'm like so blown away by it it's really just honestly it's masterful work like that's it's a it seems like a vague way to describe it but like if you're reading this series you completely know what it means because it's so complex the the way that it's paced and the way that we leap between scenes and characters perspectives is just so perfectly done it's perfect there's a really interesting balance visually in this issue and in in house of x and powers of 10 at large because i just love the way that we jump between like very still kind of wide conversation panels and things like that and then when action starts or when things start going a little bit less to plan or when, you know, the, the tension starts heating up, there's a beautiful, like, uh, the way the colors bleed together, the way that Marte Gracia and, and in this issue, uh, or in this series, Pepe Larraz, or in Powers of Ten, uh, R.B. Silva, the way that it all just kind of morphs and moves together is just so gorgeous. And it's really creating a beautiful wide zoom out 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 tapestry of what house of x and powers of 10 are now that we're really getting into it we're really deep into it and we know what this these two series are and what they're doing how they're doing it uh again as with every single issue of house of x and powers of 10 it's incredibly difficult to talk about what happens but i will say there's some all like there's this one moment with the with nightcrawler and wolverine which is just incredible so I'm glad you picked this because I didn't I didn't know how to talk about well, it. Well, that's the thing. With that, like in the terms of like us saying it's a pick. You're doing such a great job of it. So I apologize for interrupting. No, no. But I wanted to preface one thing is that like the last issue ended with a giant explodey mm-hmm. cliffhanger and it felt like such a such a classic X-Men moment. Yeah. And then you you know you wait for the next issue to see, all right, how are they getting out of this one? You know, there's got to be like Gene will put up a force like whatever it is. And you expect this nice, simple way out. That's not what this is. Yeah. Part of the brilliance of what Jonathan and and you know Jordan and the the team are doing here is, it's not a. There's a simple. Oh, we we're not going to let this happen. Like, here's what happens. What happens next? Yeah. In and seeing what happens next in this issue is like, oh my god. Yeah. The chess match that's happening here in these two series is so amazing, and to see how someone like Cyclops moves his pieces how he says this is a job for like i said you know nightcrawler and wolverine or this is a job for this character this is where you know you know to see his leadership and to see the sacrifices that are made to see that 
uh, all the planning that can go into something and then have the moment just, you know, undercut and everything goes wrong in, in a second. And you just feel the drama in such a, a classic X-Men way. Just when I think we've reached uh, the peak and then we're going to get like a moment to breathe with these books it's somehow like the, the the oxygen is taken out of the room in a completely different and completely new way. It's just spectacular stuff. It makes me more excited than anything for what's to come with the X books, with what's to come from you know showrunner Jonathan Hickman. And overall, it's just it's just the best. Uh, all right, up next is my second pick of the week. And it is Immortal Hulk number 23. It is written by Al Ewing, pencils by Joe Bennett, inks by Roy Jose with Bellardino Bravo, with colors by Paul Mounts with Matt Mila, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. I, look, it's, it's Immortal Hulk. Yeah. It is what it is, bro. <laughs> uh, this issue, I, I was reading it in the office, an office I share with several other people, mm-hmm. one of them being Ron Richards, Tucker, your mm-hmm. boss. Uh, a good friend of mine, and I'm reading it, and I just start giggling, <laughs> like cackling and giggling very inappropriately, but he turns around. Ron turns around and look at me. He's like, what's going on? And I just lift up the cover, and he goes, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not laughing because it's funny, but it's that kind of reaction to something that is so wild, so messed up and weird. All you can do is like laugh because like, well, here we are. Yep. Just strap in. Let's go for a ride. We we talked earlier in the show about Puck, sweet Canadian good boy that he is. <laughs> he does something in this issue that is so bonkers gruesome. I stared at the page for a good minute as I was laughing at it. Like, what is what is happening here? <laughs> it is so tremendous. This is a big battle between Hulk and his allies. You have now this sort of resurrected Rick Jones gamma zombie creature like it's rick jones and the narration here is from the the human reporter uh who we've been following along for for several issues it opens up with why she has this connection to the hulk which is in and of itself devastating Mm -hmm. but it's her narration and she taught the way she al writes her describing rick jones is fascinating she's talking about the way rick jones sounds and how he used you know he's a singer he was a performer he sounds normal, but he's not. <laughs> and there's this like unease that comes from that. And then you have Betty Ross, who is turned into this gamma-powered harpy. Uh, you have the Hulk, who is battling General Fortean, who is now in the abomination thing. Uh, and these military forces. You have Doc Samson. Uh, you have Absorbing Man and Titania and Puck and all of them together trying to battle against... Uh, you know, these these forces, and it's just, they keep going down. And mm-hmm. it's, what happens with Absorbing Man is upsetting. Yeah. And he, earlier in the series, he was this villain trying to, you know, being forced to take down the Hulk, and that was a nightmare scenario. And now he's, like, turned into sort of on the good side, and now it's another nightmare scenario for him, and everything going wrong. And so you get to this moment where you, you've seen Fortean and his forces essentially seeming seemingly triumph and i won't say what happens next but it is one of the most messed up final pages in immortal hulk and if you've been reading mortal hulk you know how do you get any more disturbing and twisted and weird than we've gotten before but by gum they do it 
it's one of those things where it's like so often we look at so much gorgeous art, you know, every single week and we're just like, wow, this is beautiful. This is amazing. This is like so good. I literally don't know how Joe Bennett does this. It's like that level. I just I cannot comprehend it. I don't like literally on like a pencil on paper level. I don't understand. It's so good. There is like next level. He has gone way past that next level. And I especially love it because as I do the history stuff, every once in a while I pop in and I see it, you know, I'll, I'll end up reading a book to see what the the piece was that I want to write about for, or put together for this week of Marvel history. And it's a Joe Bennett penciled issue. Right. And I'm like, you're a different human. Right. You are a different creature altogether. Yeah, yeah. That actually reminds me, I the the way that each issue of Mortal Hulk ends and kind of is tagged with the uh uh with the the title and the the credits page comes at the end and it's always woven in really wonderfully to the story itself. That actually reminds me of something that I forgot to say about House of X. Going back, we're diving back into my pick. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, really quick. The way that Tom Mueller's graphics work in House of X and Powers of Ten are so amazing, but in this issue... The way that they actually tied into the narrative oh was Those the last... coolest thing ever. I was reading it on a plane and I was like, oh God. I what? like I... I literally like gasped and giggled and I got like a shiver down my yeah. spine with how those few pages went. Anyway. Oh, wait, one more. Yeah. House of X thing. Yeah. Uh, I saw Jonathan Hickman tweet, uh, someone has created a Krakoan uh, language font. Wow. So then they, they released it widely. So if you want to write stuff in Krakoan, at which now there is a translator mm-hmm. for like, it's out there. You guys go do it. Enjoy it. Awesome. Uh, okay. Whew. Next up, we have Old Man Quill number nine. Uh, this is the penultimate issue. It's written by Ethan Sachs with art by Robert Gill, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. The big turning point in this series obviously came at the end of issue seven and then was kind of explored more in issue eight. And that was the fact that essentially Star-Lord was imagining the rest of the Guardians in this series. You know, it was a real Tyler Durden moment for him where he had been working with them and talking to them all the way along and then we kind of realize that they're gone they're not here he's alone uh he's kind of working on this all by himself so to have that happen and then to have the last issue happen where he's still kind of like reeling from that obviously still going on his mission in the wastelands on his way to the baxter building which is where we pick up this issue but uh to see him again interacting with the guardians in the way that he does in this issue is so much fun knowing all that we know now and we get him with the Hulkbuster, which is really awesome and totally unexpected and so cool to bring up in a setting like the Wastelands. All super fun stuff. I, I love how Ethan, uh, you know, tells these stories. I think he manages to pull out these really fun, fascinating, sometimes shocking moments uh, kind of out of nowhere. It's a real testament to him and his storytelling and great all, all around. Yeah. Yeah. Up next is Punisher number 15, written by Matthew Rosenberg, art by Simon Kudransky, colors by Antonio Fabella, letters by VC's Corey Pettit. Matt, you, talk, you keep saying fun. I feel like Matt's just having so much fun yeah. writing Punisher. Uh, and it's not just solo Punisher. It's Punisher alongside Sergeant Rachel Cole Alves, a former Punisher, alongside Moon Knight, alongside Ghost Rider, alongside Night Thrasher, alongside Black Widow, versus Baron Zemo and his fake Thunderbolts on the streets of New York City with Hydra troops mixed in for a good cannon fodder and great little bit of bits of banter. The bits with Jigsaw, I think, in particular, 
just so funny, so nasty. Zemo, treasure in Matt's hands. Uh, yeah. This run has been one of my favorite Punisher runs, I think, of all time. Reading this issue, for some reason in particular, gave me a flashback to one of the Marvel creative retreats where there was a lot of discussion in the room about street-level characters and things like that. And Matt was just one of the voices who was just championing the street-level perspective, the characters like the Punisher and characters that show up in this book. And that you're so right. That love for the, this kind of angle on everything really shines. And, and this has been such a fun series, and that's a great issue. Okay, next up we have Savage Avengers, number five. This is written by Jerry Duggan, uh, another... Uh, movable, mutable, uh, transmogrifal, morphing writer who can do everything from massive space events to the gritty Savage Avengers level stuff we got here. Picture this. Yeah. Mighty Morphin Jerry Duggan, (laughs) where it's Jerry Duggan in all the different Power Ranger person costumes. So it's like, he's the pink ranger. He's the yellow ranger. They just take off their helmets. It's just him every time. They're all Jerry Duggan. (laughs) And they they get into robots, giant, what are they called? Zords? Yeah, yeah. That are all (laughs) versions of Jerry Duggan. Yeah, I love it. Picture it. Close your eyes and let it happen. Uh, Art in this issue is by Mike Diodato Jr. Colors by Frank Martin and and letters by uh, VCs Travis Lanham. This issue takes place in the city of Sickles, which is within the Savage Land, as well as in Shanghai. So we're kind of bouncing around between places in here. And man, there's just, there's so much going on. It is, it is such a cacophonous book. It's just something that like, I feel like you open the pages and it just screams out at you and you just well, like, whoa, on the first page, when we leap from the city of Sickles over to Shanghai, we get this amazing image of like how would you we've talked about this before like uh, centaur-esque he's uh jotun lao the yeah. what, what, what kind of what is his name the god uh the shadow god the jotun lao the marrow god is like this cross between a a, a centaur mm-hmm. and a kaiju mixed yep. with a demon and he's like 80 feet tall and it's horrifying yeah <laughs> it, it's in that way it's the perfect task slash villain for this group to go up against because it's like just so gnarly so bloody there's a moment in here that i loved the most and it's like reflective of a moment that we've seen previously i think in this series where dr voodoo resuscitates someone yeah and they hate him for it oh yeah it's the best uh because i think who did it happen with before was it uh he frank uh, Wolverine has Wolverine. to resuscitate Dr. Voodoo right. with his blood. Yes. Uh, and now Voodoo does it, uh, resuscitates Conan. Right. And Conan, like, part of what I, I love about this book is that it's consistent with Conan's hatred of magic. Yes. He hates it. He loves the symbiote because he believes the symbiote is just the voice of Krom giving him a weapon. Right. And then he loves Wolverine because Wolverine drinks beer and has sneak blades. Right. But he hates magic. It yeah. is so much fun. I love it. He's like, there's a bit of this like one, you know, like part where, Conan says, damn wizard, <laughs> which I love. Um, and that's like outlined in red, unlike the, like, the rest of his sentence, which is just like really emphasizes how like much like spit he has on those words. It's that's so, so funny. Yeah, it's great stuff. We talked about how like Punisher's perfect book for Matt Rosenberg to write. Savage Avengers is like 
you know, made in a laboratory for Jerry Duggan. Yes. Yeah. Uh, speaking of books made in laboratories for specific people, Star Wars number 71 is up next. It is written by Greg Pak, art by Phil Noto, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles, and I believe, Tucker, that this book is was made in a laboratory for you. Oh, yeah, because it's my second pay of the week. Um, this is what I was alluding to when I was talking about Greg earlier, just like being on another level right now. I think he's just like operating in the astral plane of comic books because the way that this issue in particular, we kind of have this this unique kind of story structure where we have Han and Leia are out on an adventure. We have Chewie and 3PO together. And then we have Luke and a new character together. And we kind of bounce between these storylines. What was so fun about this and this issue and and what Greg is doing as a whole with Star Wars so far is how it leans on what may be or may have seemed to be little character moments, but iconic character moments from the movies, stuff that any Star Wars fan is completely fluent in. And the way that you feel the echoes of those moments in this story when I, while I'm describing this, it's not just like done for the sake of like, I don't remember that. Huh? That's fun. It's not that it, it, it does it in a way that is really honors the character and really f- pushes forward the character and gives it this kind of grounding. It's a ballast in a way for the characters and in, in, in a way when we're, we're reading these stories and they're doing new things, it can be a bit jarring to see these, these characters and these faces doing these kind of new adventures going off of these things. So to do that and to add that element to it, really just gives it this verisimilitude, this authenticity. I love the story that 3PO and Chewie are on, um, and that it kind of goes into these really interesting, like, 3PO moments that, like, go into his programming in a weird way, like his past experiences in a fun way, and oh, the way I'm talking about That scene was, about was so good. So awesome. But we're moving on now to another Star Wars book this week. And speaking of Matt Rosenberg, this is Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order Dark Temple number one. Uh, and it's written by Matt uh, with art by Paolo Villanelli, colors by Arif Prianto, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. This is a, this book and this series is a testament to the power of storytelling, the level of planning that goes into canonical Star Wars stories in 2019, the level of granularity that these things interact with each other, whether that's across movie into comic, whether that's across comic into video game, vice versa, the way it all weaves together is beautiful. There was a lot of talk about this series uh, when it was announced. There was a lot of talk about it, especially... There's definitely a lot of talk about when the series was announced because I... You know what? I specifically remember it was announced really wonderfully yes. on a little program called Marvel's The Polis, yes. the video version <laughs> in one of our preview episodes. And we got good old Mr. R in the building to help yeah. us out. Gave him some chocolate milk, <laughs> yeah. had a little fun with him. That's why you got to watch Marvel's The Polis, the video version. You never yeah. know what could happen. You'll never know. But that all said, that's all preamble. That's all set up uh, for what we have here just a story, just a fun story, a, a really fascinating journey that Matt takes us on. I know talking about Matt, as we have done a, a ton in this episode, that he was, I mean, you probably know better than anybody how excited he was at the possibility to tell new Star Wars stories. He did a great, um, what was that other issue he did? He did Star Wars 108. Right. 
he did Star Wars 108, which continued the original 1977 series. That was his first entry into the Star Wars universe. It was so spectacular. Uh, and then now this is just forging new ground entirely, introducing new characters, new uh, ways of telling the story. It's really, really awesome. Essentially, we have, as we talked about on the pull list video uh, a couple months ago at this point. Um, three months ago. Three months ago. Wow. Uh, yeah. Talk about it three months in advance. Um, we we see the way that the Jedi Council is involved here. We see what this this Jedi Duo's mission is, and then we see uh, their adversaries introduced in a really fascinating way. This is a, a like again, we're in Star Wars continuity here. We're breaking new ground, introducing new characters, exploring characters that maybe you'll get to know via video games or TV or various uh, ways. But you know, this is something Ryan that you and I talked about later, earlier today off air. Is just that. Really, if you're a Star Wars fan, I would absolutely make the argument that comic books are one of the main mediums to get your new Star Wars stories. It's really, honestly, it's like right almost up there with movies and TV because there's so much fascinating stuff happening in here. And it's only going to get bigger, more impactful, more like holy crap worthy as this year goes on, even into next year. So mm-hmm. stay tuned, watch this space, read Star Wars comics. There's so much good stuff happening. Yeah. And I'm super excited for this book in particular because I'm a big video game fan mm-hmm. and I'm particularly a fan of single player games, story driven games, this tying directly into, you know, Jedi Fallen Order. Yeah. I, I can't wait. I yeah. can't wait for that game. Uh, very excited. And the book was great. Uh, last book of the week for us to talk about is Web of Black Widow, number one, written by Jody Hauser, art by Stephen Mooney, colors by Triona Farrell, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Big shout to Stephen Mooney, Irishman, uh, his first Marvel work here, I believe, uh, which is really cool. I do want to also say there are a bunch of variant covers for this issue, my faves, if you are a variant cover hunter out there, I know many of you are, mm-hmm. uh, there's a variant by Chris Anka, which we got to uh, show off for the first time at San Diego Comic-Con on the This Week in Marvel panel, which is tremendous. I'm, I'm pulling that from my book and, and keeping that one for myself. And Lee Garbett, Lee, Lee's cover on this one is such a dynamic sort of uh, just execution in beautiful design and storytelling in a cover it is just so well done uh those would be my picks anyway um the story here is following up on what has happened with natasha in the last couple years she was killed but she was brought back as a clone in a cloned body with her implanted memories so she is feeling out of out of sorts a bit she is who she is she is natasha but she's sort of like feels wrong yeah uh and and it's interesting because tony stark shows up in this issue he is going through some similar things in here the two of them are sort of like kindred in a way but at the same time finding ways to deal with it in in opposite sort of parts of the spectrum on top of that the her past is coming back to haunt her as it always is she's done a lot of stuff things are going to come back around uh so we get some cool undercover action a run-in with uh, again, Iron Man, mysterious uh, things bubbling under the surface, a really interesting character by the end. But there's, I wanted to point out in particular, there's a two-page spread uh, in the middle of this where Natasha is battling a bunch of, uh, you know, bad dudes. She's wearing this dress, this like sexy dress as she's going undercover at this party. Uh, and she has been, she like 
stole some information and then they come to get her. And so this two-page spread of her battling them with her fists, with her gauntlets, with her you know her widow sting, but the way it's choreographed by Jody and uh, by Steven is so beautiful. She is moving through ballet moves, which turn into action moves. And it is such a natural thing. That is who she is. Just looks so dynamically well done here. If you are a Black Widow fan uh, and you're excited about a movie, you're excited about just who she is as a comic, as a character, this is a must, must read. Yeah, Stephen Mooney, welcome. Huge round of applause, standing ovation. What a awesome, awesome, awesome intro issue. Yeah. So good. That's it for individual issues this week. Collections on sale this week now include Age of X-Man, Prisoner X, Immortal Hulk, Volume 4, Abomination, Spider-Gwen, Ghost Spider, Volume 2, Impossible Yurt, Thanos Rising, Marvel Select, The Marvel Art of Joe Quesada, Expanded Edition, Venom Unleashed, Volume 1, War of the Realms, New Agents of Atlas, and X-Force, Volume 2, The Counterfeit King. Yeah, uh, and of course, there's plenty added to Marvel Unlimited this week, uh, a bunch of issues, probably uh, almost 10 issues of Marvel Team-Up from the 1970s, uh, a good little run of New Mutants uh, in the 60s, uh, in the, like the numbered 60s of that run, uh, a bunch of issues of X-Factor from the 80s. So I know, I, you know I've been getting a bunch of requests lately, hey, can you add these books to Marvel Unlimited? Uh, I want to add all the books. I think internally we want to add all the books. Uh, we're getting there. It, mm-hmm. it just takes some time. But every week, you know, we're adding... 10 to 25 or more classic issues to the library, as well as getting you the recent stuff, you know, whether it's Age of X-Men issues that we have in here, issues of Daredevil and Invaders, two series that you can still jump in on. They are still early enough. You can read Invaders number two, Daredevil number two, just added to Marvel Unlimited from their current runs. Mm -hmm. Like, get in on these books. Yeah. They're so good. Uh, That's it. That's a lot of books. Yeah. We're going to do this again next week. That's right. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe.